This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Bill Even, CEO of the National Pork Board. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with the National Pork Board's Bill Even. Next, today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. 2020 was a very challenging year for the nation's swine producers and the pork industry. National Pork Board CEO Bill Even says he and a lot of hog farmers were glad to see the calendar turn to a new year. It was a really rough year last year. We came through it with a lot of bumps and bruises, in some cases some amputations. From a price perspective, we've seen the markets respond favorably, both in the the pork cutout, so the price of the meat, as well as in the futures contracts. I think the issue, though, that producers are looking at now is, well, am I making any money? And what I mean by that is the prices of corn and soybeans have gone up, and those are the primary feed ingredients that we rely on. And so while the corn and soybean uh, markets have rallied, it's been great for row crop producers. If you're feeding, whether it's hogs or cattle or poultry or even running the ethanol business, it's really put a tight squeeze on margins. And so I think the, the question for the pork industry is, what are margins going to look like in 2021? So thankfully, when the meat case was empty, it wasn't because there wasn't enough pork. It was just the fact that we couldn't move it through the pipeline and get it processed into the store. So what did we learn through that? And do you feel confident that the the packing industry, certainly they had their own set of woes to deal with. Have they made progress? And do you feel confident that we're more resilient now industry-wide than we might have been prior to COVID? I think the answer to that is, is yes, Jeff. There was a lot of learning that happened by every industry in the United States. It didn't man- matter if you were you know, manufacturing food or if you were manufacturing cars or manufacturing parts. There was a lot of adjustment that had to happen, and it was really around uh, worker safety and protection and health so that they were comfortable uh, being at work and being safe at work. And the rules and the guidances you know, morphed and changed over the course of the spring and the summer and the fall, You had various uh, governors in various states with various levels of outbreaks taking various approaches on how to manage it. So when you think about our food system, you're you're operating across state lines, and you're moving animals, and you're moving product, and you have outlets in multiple states and jurisdictions. And none of that was really uh, harmonized, so you had to really adjust on the fly. The good news now is that the processing industry is operating at roughly 98% of potential capacity and has been for a number of months. And so our system, I would say, didn't break. It maybe buckled a little bit, uh, was put under some strain, and just through a lot of ingenuity and hard work from the farm, through the plants, uh, through the folks in the distribution centers and the grocery stores, everybody was trying to figure this out in real time. And I'd say all in all, uh, we came through it um, 
much wiser for the experience. The challenge to us now, Jeff, is as an industry, are we really taking the time to slow down and do the after-action review necessary to make fundamental changes in, in our system so that we will be more resilient? You know, God forbid something like this happens again. Has the COVID pandemic affected consumer buying patterns, or has it accelerated patterns that were already taking place? The answer to that is yes and yes. So it, it greatly impacted consumers. I believe in, I believe it's probably about, oh, 2016, 2017, for the first time in U.S. history, the American consumer was spending more on dining out than they were on groceries and eating at home. And last March, we saw that flip. There was at least probably a 150 to $200 billion shift in the market when the food service industry uh, closed, albeit temporarily, and everybody went to the grocery store to stock up on food. And the the trend that we had generally been seeing in, in the food industry, in meat, meat as well, was uh, people looking to buy online. And we saw that really rapidly accelerated. So for us, you know, this isn't just about, you know, ordering something off of Amazon, but it's about your local grocery store having a, a workable online application where you could put your shopping list together on your smartphone, swing by the, the store on your way home from work, and have somebody set the groceries in the back of your SUV. And that's, that was coming, and the pandemic really accelerated that trend. So what does it mean for us? I think it means that we have to be top of mind with the consumer when they're on their smartphone because once you build an established kind of uh, grocery list, if you think about an algorithm suggesting things, we need to make sure that pork is a product and an item that is on your list and is also suggested by the retailer. So, Bill, how do you influence an online shopper? I mean, you have the advantage in the grocery store of, of signage. You might even have the opportunity for the, the consumer to talk to the butcher about a particular product. But but if they're shopping online, their attention span more narrow, how do you influence positively for pork? One of the things that the checkoff did last uh, spring, last March, by the middle, late March, is we completely adjusted all of our uh, pork promotion for the year shifted rapidly to very practical questions that consumers were asking. So we've, we're in a four, fourth year now of a, of a partnership with Google, and you think about, uh, just say, in the analytics, what are people searching for when the word pork comes up or food or meat or meals? And we need to deliver the answer to that question proactively through the pork promotion, through the pork checkoff. So we were across all these different social platforms, including YouTube influencers and the like, just helping people with basic questions about uh, how to handle a cut of meat, how to do with, deal with food safe, safety, how to cook it, uh, how to cook it properly, and have a really good eating experience uh, for yourself or for your family. And I think that's the example of being present with the questions consumers are asking in real time. And that's the one advantage we have now that the digital platforms we work in, those real-time analytics, and we can do A-B testing on different ads and then put that information in front of the consumer. Is this movement for the cooking shows and this realization of food, is it providing an opportunity to tell the story of pork? 
It, it sure is, Jeff. And I'll use the example. The, the pork checkoff has launched what we're calling our, our real pork platform. And so it's about real farms, real farmers producing real food. And that real food is real nutritious, real tasty, real versatile, real sustainable. And one of the ways that we're delivering that message is partnering with um, nationally recognized chefs. Uh, you mentioned some of the um, cable TV shows. We've done uh, satellite media tours using chefs. We put on uh, different cooking contests and just really trying to put a little bit of fun back into thinking about, okay, I'm at home. Um, we're watching our budget. My, my restaurants may or may not be open. How do I have a little fun making sure that um, when, I, when I'm looking to buy a, a cut of meat, I'm going to ask myself, is everyone at the table going to enjoy this, and is it good for me and my family? And so if you can provide that both digitally and in different advertisements and, and ways you can get in front of people on their social channels, then also uh, engaging with those folks, uh, put a little fun back into cooking. You know, fundamentally, uh, as the thing says, you know, we got through this together and we can see the light at the end of the tunnel now with the vaccine out. And we want people to make sure that you think about those days of family meals together or gathering around the table, teaching your kids how to help, help them cook, or when it warms up again, being able to get outside the backyard and have a barbecue with some friends and neighbors. Those type of, I would say, those very strong emotional connections come from things that are real things that are like real pork, and that's that's where we're landing with pork checkoff. Bill, we're seeing more farmers selling direct to consumers. Is this a plus for the industry, or how is the checkoff handling this new avenue? Well, we support producers of all shapes and sizes, and we firmly believe in choice, whether it's the choice of how you want to raise your hog or the choice of the consumers and how they want to eat it. So on the production end, um, you look at our 15-member producer board of directors. Our current uh, board president has a pasture-raised pork operation that sells direct to consumers, as you just mentioned. And they've got uh, a story that they tell. And we have other people on the board of directors that raise pork in a conventional fashion and provide it in, in quantities that are very affordable and, and very, um, very safe and tasty as well through the major retailers. So there's, there's no right or wrong way to go about raising your pigs as just as there's no right or wrong way to go about um, consuming pork as a consumer. One of the things that we are seeing happen, Jeff, is um, certain, I would say, certain groups of Americans will purchase pork and eat it as center plate. Again, you think of a pork, uh, pork chop, you think of a ham, you think of a, a loin. But what we're seeing emerge really quickly is the idea of pork as an ingredient. And so ground pork sales in the United States have skyrocketed. And many people that have never tried ground pork or used ground pork maybe as a substitute in a recipe have suddenly discovered, wow, this tastes awesome. It's got great flavor. Um, it's very versatile. I can use it in anything from, you know, tacos or something else that I might be cooking at home. And that's, that's really been the avenue that we're exploring is how do you get pork also as an ingredient and it gives you just so much more versatility as well from a recipe or menuing standpoint if you're in food service. We're seeing some really positive results from export sales from 2020. What helped to cause that, and can you keep it up, Bill? <laughs> well, we broke all records on pork exports in 2020, and we're very thankful that uh, we've had a lot of, a lot of countries around the world that looked to the U.S. to help provide them with food. 
one of the blessings we have here in the United States is, you know, we've got we've got good soils where we can raise good crops. We've got decent infrastructure. We've got rule of law and property rights and, and a good government. And when you put all that stuff together, we're really blessed with some riches here in the U.S. And that's going to allow us to always, and I use always in agriculture, be able to be an exporter. And so international exports uh, are about uh, 30%, maybe a little less than when you look at it in the year of our production. And that means that countries like Mexico, Canada, Japan, South Korea, China, Australia, Colombia, some of our top seven, uh, are really continuing to look to the U.S. to supply them with food, particularly China. Uh, as you know, China has, has struggled with African swine fever in their, in their pig herd. African swine fever is disease of pigs and not people, um, and, and pork is safe to eat. But as they're looking to rebuild their hog herd and provide their citizens with uh, pork protein, which they prefer, they're looking globally, and not only to the EU and South America, but certainly to the United States. I know that the Pork Board has been doing some work toward diversifying that export portfolio. Who's top of the list or who's showing opportunities that could become uh, good consumers of U.S. pork? We're doing a hard look right now at the Philippines and Vietnam in particular, Jeff. Uh, Vietnam has also got a pork shortage. Uh, the Philippines have got a pork shortage, and these are countries that are very uh, – pork is a very part of their traditional diet. It's very well accepted. It's very well enjoyed. And so when the citizens of these countries are looking for uh, food, I think it's incredibly important that the U.S. pork industry understand what those opportunities look like. Now, that gets into trade issues and tariffs and free trade agreements and the like. But fundamentally, our producers are telling us uh, it's great that China is purchasing a lot of pork. Uh, let's make sure we've got a diversification play in place. Because if something disrupts uh, China and trade for geopolitical purposes, where could we position another, say, 6 to 8% of U.S. production? which other countries would be able to absorb that so you wouldn't have um, you know, issues related to downward pressure on price in, in the U.S. Bill, is the administration's desire for and the congressional directive toward climate policy and sustainable agriculture practices an opportunity to talk about what has already been done and, more importantly, what agriculture can do to help achieve climate objectives? You know, agriculture is a relatively small part of uh, greenhouse gas emissions in the United States. You know, the pork industry is less than half of 1%. And the idea of a carbon-neutral pig is really within our grasp here in the industry. And the work that we've done with the National Corn Growers Association, the United Soybean Board, and others that produce the feed to feed our animals is an example of a lot of uh, collaborative research and and moving towards this idea we are on a path of continuous improvement in agriculture that's just what we do it's not nothing it's nothing novel to us and i think the the opportunity for i would say any anybody from consumers to policymakers to producers or folks in the supply chain to understand agriculture is part of the solution but it needs to be led by and driven by a real clear understanding of how farming actually works and I think it's real important that um, folks take the time, you know, engage with the pork checkoff. 
Uh, we're more than happy to help talk to people, help them understand uh, modern pig production, help them understand what the facts and the data are saying, and show and, and showcase our We Care ethical principles. Today's, I would say today's brands as well as today's consumers, um, they like to know that you have principles you stand on in your industry. They want to know that you're practicing those principles by putting things in place. And then they want proof. They want some yardstick that you can measure and report on. And the pork industry is doing all three of these things. And we really look forward to having a good open conversation about that with anybody here in 2021. Bill, I'm going to put you on the spot with this question. So what evidence can you share today that the nation's swine producers have made strides in sustainability? What initiatives have you employed and and what results have you seen? Great question, Jeff. So I'd start off with our We Care Ethical Principles. And we put those in place over 12 years ago now and recommitted to them as an industry uh, at the 10th anniversary. Those are the principles of what we strive to do. We recognize that no one or no industry is perfect. We always strive for continuous improvement to do better. So those principles have been out there for over 12 years now and in public. Practices things that the pork checkoff has put in place. We have the pork quality assurance program that helps train uh, pork producers around those principles to ensure that we're raising our pigs right. Um, We have the transport quality assurance uh, uh, program and audits that go with that for the people that are transporting our pigs from farm to farm or farm to market. We have the common swine industry audit that uh, the supply chain uses to actually audit uh, farms to ensure that we're meeting standards uh, around animal care, animal welfare, uh, worker safety, food safety, on down the line. And then those are the examples of the, the practices that we have in place that are verifiable. The next step is say, okay, we've done we've done A, B, and C. Uh, what's what's next on our list? And that means doing the research necessary to find okay. How are we going to measure these things, and how are we going to report them as an industry? And I think that's um, that's a challenge that many, um, and say whether you're in manufacturing or you're in agriculture, you're really trying to understand how do I measure this, and how should I report on it? We're interested in transparency, and that's our commitment around our We Care principles. What are the next steps that you feel like you could take to reduce your environmental footprint, and? And how important is technology in those particular areas? Well, technology is definitely a key to the solutions. And so when you look at the fact that about 60% of the footprint of a a pig comes from the, the food that they eat, so the corn and the soybeans, it means that we need to spend time with our, our colleagues and partners in the row crop industry because small changes and improvements there on the landscape of the row crop side of the equation really helps the downstream piece uh, achieve their, their goals of carbon neutrality. And so we have a memorandum of understanding with the National Corn Growers Association as well as the United Soybean Board, the partner on research that moves us in that direction. Uh, there's a lot of stuff happening, far too much that I can go into detail here on the podcast, but that sort of teamwork is happening with your checkoffs behind the scenes that lines up very nicely with what our national policies are going to be. And we're really proud of that fact. We're here to be of assistance and help, and we want to make sure that everybody in that's listening to this understands that um, we want to be part of the solution. 
Bill, I can't uh, conclude the interview without having the opportunity to draw attention to something uh, uh, clearly showing the heart and the mindset of today's uh, swine producer. Heartened to see the efforts of pork producers uh, and the efforts they took to help the hungry and doing that while they were suffering on their own. Now, this isn't new, but how have you and how do you continually help to feed the nutritionally insecure in the country? Well, back during the pandemic, uh, you think back to those dark days of March and the spring and into the summer, um, our producers were in desperate financial situation. Um, it was it was very difficult and very stressful on the farm. And what you saw happening is many farmers were actively you know, giving away animals to people in their community, uh, to local locker plants. In some cases, they were loading up uh, trucks of animals and moving them across country, just giving them away to say, I don't want this to go to waste. And I want to make sure that somebody somewhere in this country is going to have the opportunity to have a meal. We partnered a lot with the USDA in understanding the, the programs that assist the food banks, what sort of products could easily be put into the food system there and supplied, let alone from the things that happen every day in the local communities. That's the sort of thing that producers do because they don't like to see things go to waste. And ultimately, our job, Jeff, is we feed people. And nothing makes a farmer uh, more sick to his stomach than if you're raising a crop that has to be destroyed or raising animals that have to be needlessly destroyed. Um, our job is to feed people, and we take it seriously. Well, Bill, even we want to thank you very much for taking time out of a busy schedule and certainly a challenging winter season uh, to be with us on this edition of Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and Bill, you've got the last word today. Well, thanks, Jeff. And what I'd like all your listeners to know that uh, America's pork producers are, are really proud of producing real pork. We're real farmers on real farms producing real food. And that food is real nutritious, real tasty, real versatile, and real sustainable. And I'd just like your folks to know, if they're interested in learning more, you can go to pork.org, and we're happy to tell you all about it. Our thanks to Bill Even, CEO of the National Pork Board, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.